Hello, everybody. Hello, 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 and welcome to another fantastic episode of Nerds of the North, the premier former video game show hosted by two brothers, but not each other's brothers, and a third person. I'm your father, the son of the goalie host, Simon Pazzo, joined in solidarity by his faithful squad mates, Matthew Menier, and a guest star, Hannah, please give us the glory of introducing yourself. Um, hi, well, my name's Hannah Jensrud. I, um, I'm kind of a nerd. I'm mostly about like very specific things, one of them being um, A Song of Ice and Fire. And yeah, I'm very excited to be here. Perfect. Well, we're very happy to have you because it's been mm-hmm. a long time coming. Uh, with We used to do dedicated episodes back in our TV Talker days, so shout out to anybody listening who remembers those days. I barely remember those days, so if you do... That, was, that was my first episode was a Game of Thrones episode. Was it? That's Yeah, we brought yeah. in so many like cameo yeah. stars. It was like a For the first episode. while, I would I was just the Game of Thrones ringer. I would come in to talk about Game of Thrones, and that was it. <laughs> yeah, and then we knew that you were too good. We were like, we got to get this guy on payroll, and then we discovered that wow. we don't have a payroll, and uh, joke's on you. And I've been salty about it ever since. <laughs> yes. Uh, trust me, you get just as much money from this as I do. <laughs> Alas, okay. Let's 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 get into it. So where I want to start, it's been um it's been a minute since Game of Thrones ended. Uh, so I kind of wanted to gauge where everyone is on the franchise now. I I uh, like where you are book reading wise, and this is weird to say, uh, but because this isn't normally the situation I find myself in with these big nerd properties, but I think I'm actually the smallest fan of the franchise, and I'm still a very large fan. I just got a feeling that you guys are both super fans because Matt, I know you're huge into world building. And Hannah, I saw a snap of you reacted to the Game of Thrones finale. <laughs> so, so Matt, as the uh, as the reigning uh, prime prime co-host, just give us a refresher on what you thought of the end of season eight and uh, just how Game of Thrones as a shout out to my voice crack right there. How Game of Thrones as a franchise has kind of uh, settled in your brain from the past years yeah so th- there was a time where i would have called game of thrones just like my favorite thing straight up like not necessarily like tv or books just like straight up it's like game of thrones is my favorite period um and then yeah by the end of season eight i uh i just didn't give a shit um and uh i i have definitely had some some strong apathy to it since then um i know uh you know my girlfriend occasionally has been like oh we should rewatch game of thrones and i'm like i just can't bring myself to care anymore um and so yeah when they announced they were doing some spin-offs i was like well i mean it can't be as bad as game of Th- the last couple seasons of game of thrones um but i like i really didn't feel the need for any more now that it's here um i'm very glad it exists uh but yeah i've i I was i feel like i've been burned by game of thrones starting in like season six maybe season five probably and uh so yeah it's it's nice to see something new yeah it's like uh, on one hand i can remember us talking about on various episodes like uh do we need another one on the other hand there what reputation are they gonna ruin you know Uh, you can only go up from here yeah, so that's why, I mean, we'll get to you in a second, Hannah. Don't worry, I'm not going to forget you, but I feel probably the worst for you because I, I also, uh, my overwhelming feeling was apathy. And I actually remember, um, like, 
you can kind of feel yourself slipping. Wasn't there that like that meme? It's an old, it's an old meme, but it still checks out of that like kid going down a slide and really reluctant. Do you know what I mean? And the first picture yeah, yeah. of them like kind of go, yeah, that's kind of how I felt. I mean, even season five, I didn't mind. And then season six, I think that's when. I, by the way, spoilers for all of Game of Thrones. <laughs> Just in case you clicked on this podcast without seeing them. What? I mean, I guess it's possible that you were like a prequel. Well, I'll watch that and then I'll watch Game of Thrones. But yeah, come into this after you've seen it. But yeah. uh, I think season six was where John died, right? That was uh, yeah, season five. Season five? Man, yeah, he came yeah. back season six. Yeah, like right. we used we used to do um, like watch parties at your place. We'd have like roast chicken and mead. Um, and like there was for like a few seasons of the show, I would like as the episode came out, I would watch it and then I would literally just rewatch it again immediately afterwards. And yeah. then I specifically remember watching the finale um, just on my laptop in bed and it finished and I just closed my laptop and went to sleep and I like couldn't have cared less. It was, uh, <laughs> yeah, it, uh, it was a bit of love lost for sure. I mean, the tough part, it's good thing Adam's not here because he's not a big fan of Endgame, but it's like it came out right at the same time as Avengers Endgame, which like almost universally, there are people like Adam in the world, almost universally nailed it. And then Game of Thrones was like, ooh, then within the same mar- like the same uh, month. So I remember seeing a meme, by the way, spoilers for Avengers Endgame, I suppose, of like, it was, you know, where um, Tony and, and um, Steve shake hands. Like one of those memes, and it was like Starks in Game of Thrones, Starks in Avengers, dying in March. I remember <laughs> seeing that meme. It was like they're they're shaking hands. But uh, I, for the season eight finale, I was in Disney World. Uh, shout out to Disney World, great place. And I remember I was in a line, and the guy in front of us was talking Game of Thrones with two girls. That I mean, it wasn't like two random people in line. I think they knew him, but he was trying to impress them, and he kept like telling them all like the the spoilers of the the episode like i don't know if it was the very finale but it was one of them and uh there's like you know a major spoiler like every 30 seconds in those because they're so condensed and i remember hearing him just like straight up spoil some stuff and i just couldn't care and there was like no rush to watch the episode when we got back to the hotel and i'm like ugh, i guess i'll get to it at some point like the wind had been totally taken out of the sails uh but I, I just remember that. And then afterward, I remember saying to him, because as you know, people out there may know, and Matt, you'll know when I fucking take you to Disney World, mark my words, you could be stuck in a line behind somebody for like an hour. So you better establish early on some sort of etiquette. And sometimes you chat with them and that's fine. But I remember saying to him afterward, I'm like, <clears throat> some of us actually haven't seen the episode yet. And he's like, oh, sorry. I'm like, yeah, you should be. Now enjoy your rock and roller coaster, you bitch. Anyway. Hannah, I don't think you were apathetic. Where, where was your emotional state in season eight? Oh, it was a roller coaster. So I did. No, I was on the roller coaster. <laughs> oh, Simon, those dad jokes. Um, but yeah, so I I enjoyed season six. I I I mean, they did changes and stuff, but I knew once they ran out of source material, it wasn't going to be as good. But I was still happy with where season six went. I was like, okay, this is, this is good. Um, like, was it no hard home was season five battle of the bastards in season six was like amazing. And I just, I was excited. Danny was finally coming to Westeros. Everything was like coming to a head slowly. I was so stoked. Season seven happened 
And part of me was like, I, I watched season seven probably like three or four times within the space of a month of it airing. Oh, no. And yeah. But that was because, though, like, I, I was a huge Daenerys Targaryen stan, and she couldn't really do anything wrong in season seven until that horrible episode um, where Viserion is taken out. And I was like, what is this with this fast travel stuff? And what is going on here? And I was very invested in, like, the lore of the books. And, um, how can I put this? Like, um, I guess the theories and everything. Like, I remember before I even started watching the show, I read A Dance with Dragons and figured out the R plus L equals J thing. And I was so excited that that was coming to fruition. But it just felt like in season seven, they started doing like bullet points of plot instead of actually developing the plot. And I was kind of disappointed, but I was so hopeful for season eight. I don't know what I was smoking at the time, but... um, season eight was just just abhorrent like i cried i think because the snap i'll go I'll, I'll admit it like i said i'm in the live like snap i took back when the premiere came out of the last episode and i was just bawling and it was right after john killed danny and i think i was i wasn't so upset with danny becoming like the mad queen, whatever there was foreshadowing for that. I was upset because they did her character so fucking dirty the whole season. Pardon my language. And like after sure, season eight, worry, this is a safe space. Oh, okay, good. Sorry. Um, but yeah, no, after season eight, I have not rewatched season eight at all. Every other season I've watched like six or seven times season eight. Nope. I can't do it. I could not care. Like my coworkers knew I loved Game of Thrones so much. They decorated my desk in Game of Thrones decor for my birthday one year. And like, I was totally obsessed with it. Like any little kind of theory or like world detail, I would know. But then after that season aired, I just, it dropped off the face of the earth for me. Like I still have the Stark and Targaryen keychains on my keys. That's just because I'm too lazy to take them off. But it just, it really disappointed me. It was like they had all of the, they had all of the elements to make it truly amazing. And they just went, you know what? We want to go work for Star Wars. TLDR is fine for like one of the biggest shows ever. Yeah, so it's got to be one of the most perplexing that. decisions by by two creators, maybe ever. Because like at that point, I guess they felt some responsibility for it. But like, I still, even all the, all this time, and I'm I'm kind of curious where you guys stand on it too. I don't know how to feel about Dan and Dave because they did a great job in a lot of the seasons, and like you can go on YouTube and find so many scenes that are like top ten Game of Thrones seasons ever, and they have nothing to do with the books. Like one of my favorites that I think about all the time is when um, Robert's talking to Cersei in season one. Obviously, in season one, so the time we'd see Robert Baratheon. Yeah, and he does the whole which is stronger five or one. That's a scene that's Dan and Dave. So early on, they got it. So that's why, like, the easy thing to say. And by the way, I agree with it, even though I'm about to mock it. I guess is it like, oh, they ran out of book material. Well, no, they were good writers at some point, but clearly somewhere in there, they lost the ability to. Maybe they became apathetic too. 
like you're right, there's no way that HBO, like the higher ups who knew this was their cash cow, weren't like just throwing every money and bribe and like whatever they would want, like all the coke and hookers they could manage at Dan and Dave to get them to do it. Because I think once everyone heard, hey, they're going to wrap this enormous thing with like 95 plot threads, they're going to wrap it up in 13 episodes. I think everyone was like, oh, shit. Like season six was bad, but bad for Game of Thrones is still better than 98% of other shows. But then like, ooh, that was so I, I really don't know how to feel about them. But it sounds like and Matt or Hannah, maybe like either of you are more tuned in on this. I just haven't heard from Matt in a while. I feel like I've heard that George R. R. Martin wasn't that involved in the end seasons of Game of Thrones. I feel like he's talked no, about that. He no, he wasn't. Sorry for oh, sorry. No, no, go for it. Um, no, he wasn't. He was barely involved at all because he was trying to finish Winds of Winter, which is still unsurprisingly unfinished. And he, I think, was what kept them very true to the books in the first few seasons. Like they made necessary changes, but you can tell once George R. R. Martin, like he stopped producing an episode a season, or was it directing? I think, directed. I think he wrote one. Yeah, I don't think he directed. Yeah. Oh, okay, no. So yeah, whatever. Whenever he stopped being involved with the series, it just it's it the characters like kind of fell apart in my opinion. Like Jon Snow in the last season, he just says, "I don't want it," and she's my queen. How many times? Like really? Yeah, I mean, technically just, speaking, we're accurate by saying it's your opinion, but that's I, I don't think I don't Sorry. know anyone on planet Earth. No, it's all good. Who would who would dispute that? <laughs> Like that's that's borderline fact. I don't even know if Kit Harrington. No, maybe especially Kit Harrington. Like that was the meme for so long. Was like the Twilight kids hate their hate their jobs, but uh, yeah. and now the Game of Thrones people like the definitely. I mean, that's what the other spinoff that they talk about the sequel. Kit Harrington want is like spearheaded that. There's no chance that's not because he's worried about the character assassination of his career. Because I don't know if the Black Knight in Marvel is going to take off the way he thinks it is. Well, and like. I'm sorry, you, you're telling me the blood of the la- like the last living Targaryen that they can confirm. He's just going to go fuck off beyond the wall? And they're going to let him after Grey Worm and the rest of the Unsullied go back across the Narrow Sea? Like, it, sorry, bad writing. I get angry. It makes no sense. Yeah. Like, it's total bullshit. But anyway. Yeah, there's lots of stuff that, like retroactively makes a lot of the show leading up to it worse mm-hmm. which just makes it so frustrating to try and and rewatch. also i looked it up yeah the last episode that um george r, r. martin wrote was um the scene the episode where joffrey dies coincidentally in season four? four the last very good yeah. season yeah yep man okay so let's but all that aside <laughs> <laughs> this is not this is not going to be necessarily be a funeral for Game of Thrones because we have a new show which has been called by George R. R. Martin and thus forevermore Hot D House of the Dragon and I felt a little bad when I was editing our previous episode that I kept calling it House of Dragons I'm like no Hot D is sitting right there so yes we can call it Hot D uh, which is great so uh, the other thing I want to I want to establish early on uh, is I I think I, I've listened to the first book on audiobook. But I like for the most part was only a show person. You know, I've dabbled in the wiki, I've dabbled in good old Alt Shift X. So I know about things like Cold Hands and what's her name, Lady Stoneheart, right? Like I know about the more fantastical things they didn't fit into the show. 
I'm kind of aware of the general surroundings, you know, like I could probably pass your average BuzzFeed Game of Thrones quiz, but I intentionally, especially now that this show is out, and more importantly now that spoilers, I think it's good. Um, I'm kind of intentionally staying pure on the lore. So, Matt, uh, where are you lore-wise coming into this show? Have you caught up on the books? Have you read, uh, what's it called, A Dance of the Fire or something like that? Fire and Blood. Fire and Blood, yeah. Yeah, Fire and Blood is the book that this series is based on. I haven't. I've read um, all of the main series books, and then I've read a couple of the Duncan Egg graphic novels. Okay, so where are you coming in? for this show like what was your anticipation coming into the show matt well um a year ago i probably couldn't have cared less um after seeing the trailers and stuff like that it's like okay starting to remember why i like this in the first place still don't want to you know have have too much hope um and i guess I, i wasn't i don't think i was excited until the first episode came out and I was looking at um, like spoiler free reviews and everyone was saying that it was really good. That was the first moment that I like allowed myself to be a little bit excited for it. Yeah, I'm in pretty much the exact same boat. I was like, okay, well, we'll see. I didn't even care to know the name of the fucking thing. But when people started saying it was good, I was like, oh, okay. And even then, I had to wait until we're recording this on a Thursday. It comes out on a Sunday. I had to wait until Wednesday to watch it with my girlfriend because that's how things worked out. I don't know if I could be able to handle that if it was like peak Game of Thrones, you know? It was like Sunday night. Like, I don't care. Like, I'll drive the hour round trip to get to your house to watch this for an hour and then go back. That's oh, how yeah. good Game of Man, Thrones was this peak. I remember, I think, Game of Thrones season four, when that was coming out, I was working at my lake and I had no internet and no TV. So we would, at like... You know, it was like Sunday at nine, so like ten fifteen, we would drive down to the subway parking lot to use their Wi-Fi to download it onto my laptop. Then then we would like g- drive back to the cottage and watch it. Like it was, Damn. we would do anything. <laughs> I mean, that's what it takes. That's what it takes. You know. I had like my own. I started watching right before season three came out. Um, and I'd read the books and I like every season, every episode I watched live because I was able to, I literally, I had like a routine. It's game of Thrones night. I pour myself a very stiff drink in my Targaryen mug and, um, I make sure everyone leaves me alone and I dim my lights in my room and it was game of Thrones time. Like it, I've never done that for a TV show. Like it was awesome. Yeah. And, I, yeah. I particularly miss Game of Thrones. Is like, I mean, it's about time that we probably get into the episode. But just doing this podcast, like there's other shows we talk about. We kind of got it out of WandaVision. I know I brought it up before. We kind of got it out of Falcon and the Soldier. I've watched the first two episodes of She-Hulk now. I don't mind She-Hulk. But, like, it's definitely not dense enough. But I definitely have missed just, like, sitting down for an hour. Like, I mean, the fact that we can record it for, you know two people listen to is and one of them being me is fine but just like to to just have a show that's dense enough that you can like get 20 minutes of conversation out of a five minute scene is just something that i've missed so much so let's move into the actual show um we're pretty much i i kind of was making my notes for myself and almost scene by scene but the first thing i want to do is just what do we think matt what'd you think 
I really liked it. Um, I did. I had this the same kind of reaction actually as watching uh, Top Gun a few weeks ago, yes. where for the first like ten minutes I was like, "Hmm, everyone says this is really good. Seems okay. Let's see where it goes." And then um, the the scene of of Matt Smith leading the city watch, I was like, "Nope, this is awesome." Um, but yeah, just like quick and simple, really liked it. I'm super excited to see the rest yep totally agree uh it it, it yeah yeah I, I don't know when in it that i that it kind of got me that i was like oh it's good but it definitely made it's like okay yeah this is why this is popular this is why things are good it was a very solid pilot episode and kind of got you back into the the swing of things well also i think still feeling quite distinct in a way that we'll get into uh, shortly but hannah or your first impressions Honestly, I was hooked from when it turned on, basically. Like, when it, that little blurb at the beginning, it said 172 years before Daenerys Targaryen. I was like, oh, this is, this is, this is real. This is actually happening. And like, didn't let me down through the whole episode. It was, it was very much what I would expect from early Game of Thrones. Just fantastic. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so let's talk about it. So it's follow. It's I mean, the show is following the Targaryens. We don't need to do like a scene by scene because this is intentionally made for people who have already seen it. But it mm-hmm. is following the Targaryens, which like I mean, they weren't necessarily my favorite <laughs> house in the original, but that's kind of for a long time. I mean, for the end though, they were the villains. Um, but they were like one of the main houses, of course. But clearly, it's going to be all based on them. And there's the classic line that uh, it's like I'm sure one of you know the exact quote, but you flip every time a Targaryen is born, you flip a coin. Right, and we thought maybe we got like the fifty-fifty in the first one, where like um, Viserys was evil and Daenerys was good, and then turned out that that wasn't the case. She was the Mad Queen all along. Who knew? It's like a Scooby-Doo moment. Actually, what's his dick at the wall? He was a good Targaryen. Aemon, yeah, yeah, Aemon, yeah, very good Targaryen. Definitely the best of the Targaryens that we saw in the original. But I wasn't like jazzed to the Targaryens. But yeah, you're right. It hits you with that. And then you get that opening bit about how, and you see everyone in their costumes, and there's just something, something about Game of Thrones costumes, man. It's similar to like the Lord of the Rings costumes. Like you watch some TV shows, and it just it looks like a fucking costume. And like even if they look great, it's just like yeah, that looks great, but like it doesn't look like like you're in that twelve hours a day, you know. And you look at these things, and just it they just look fantastic. So you have that great scene where they kind of choose the the next leader and of course it's going to be a man so i suspect i suspect that subplot will come back later and then they hit you they hit you with the dragon we got dragon riding we're not waiting seasons to see it no right out the fucking gate let me sh- let me show you some goddamn special effects let me show you some motherfucking dragons it was really cool for me oh, sorry nope go ahead it was really cool for me like in the opening scene when um Rhaenyra is riding Cyrax, that the dragon handlers are speaking high valyrian it was just a nice touch like because i i think in a lot of different shows and stuff where there's like different languages and everything sometimes that gets lost and those details get lost but like having the dragon handlers just be like yelling at each other in old valyrian or high valyrian and covered in soot that was just super cool yeah the confidence to just have like a fair amount of high valyrian they got two characters at least two that we know of, right? That are clearly fluent in High Valyrian and, and spend well, 
a not insignificant if amount of the show talking to each other, like in it. If I'm not wrong, it's because they're dragon riders. They learn High Valyrian. Um, other ones don't, or it's optional, but because your dragon only will reply or understand Valyrian, basically, they have to learn it. So it's kind of like between Damon and um, Rhaenyra, it's like their secret language that not many people understand. That's why they say stuff to each other in it that you wouldn't necessarily say in front of your father at your mother's funeral, right? Well, I thought presumably um, their dad or her dad, uh, Viserys, could also speak because he was also a dragon rider, right? Remember hearing that in one of the? Uh, I'm, I'm sure Matt's probably watched it too. But that's what I'm. I'm trusting the good people of uh, New Rockstars. Of course, <laughs> went back to their yeah. thing and they mentioned that her her dad Viserys was the last one to ride. What's his name? The Great Dragon. Valerian. Valerian, oh, yeah. Valerian the Dread. Oh, yeah. Because you know, yeah. there, are, there are other people that speak Valyrian throughout the series. Like lots of the people from Essos speak it, but like in Westeros, it's mostly a Targaryen thing. But I like that we're yeah. seeing it more in this show because it kind of makes sense that like the farther back in time you go and the closer you get to when the Targaryens actually arrived from Valyria, it makes sense that like in the older time periods, they would be speaking it more often because they're not as far removed from when that was just the everyday language. Yeah. And also I got to say like the, I going back to what you said earlier, Simon is like, I also wasn't super pumped about a Targaryen spinoff. Like Danny has some awesome moments, but she was never like one of my favorite characters. And it was always one of those things that Targaryens is like, well, they're clearly kind of like the most powerful and they're supposed to be the coolest and whatever. But it's like, they never really did it for me. And then watching this, I'm like, they are the fucking coolest though. (laughs) Like this makes, this one episode makes me like the Targaryen family immediately way more than eight seasons of Game of Thrones did. Yeah, not even close. And I'd be remiss if I, speaking of uh, YouTubers, if I didn't jump in on something that Jeremy Johns noticed too. I don't know if either of you guys are Mortal Kombat fans, but the the yellow dragon is named Cyrax. So does that mean that uh, there's got to be a red dragon named Sector out there somewhere? Come on. Come on, George. Do it for us. <laughs> Do it for us. We need it. But yeah, that was a good part. And I also liked, again, I'm trying to keep my own thoughts separate from what I've heard, but it was a great point how multiple characters comment on the smell of dragons which is not something that we ever heard from the original ones. And it's like such a subtle touch between that and also at the very end when Matt Smith is petting his dragon, you can see, like, I mean, the dragons, they do look like CGI. They're not absolutely perfectly seamless, but the combination of the smell and then when one's breathing, it blows your hair back in like a subtle, a subtle effect. It's not like it roars at you and then there's like this big effect, right? I thought that this is actually like the most... Like, the dragons just felt like they belonged in this world in a way that they didn't feel like they belonged in Game of Thrones, which is kind of intentional, obviously, but, yeah. yeah. I think part of it, too, like, for me, I, I picked up on the, oh, you smell like dragons, or take a bath, like, the dragon scent thing. I think in Game of Thrones world, dragons were so rare and so, like, they thought they were gone, so everyone was just in awe, like, oh my gosh, that's a dragon. They're not commenting on that, but here... For Targaryens, dragons are like horses, basically. Well, not horses, it's the source of their power. We'll talk about that later. But like, it just seems like it's it's really cool how it's more like commonplace. Just like, oh, that's annoying. Dragons are no big deal, right? Yeah. Yeah, like that <laughs> oh, one man, shot in the beginning when uh, 
when Rhaenyra flies over the like King's Landing and there's like a shot of just sort of people walking through the street and none of them even look up. It's like, right, yeah, yeah. she would just come and go it's like you know it would be like if you saw a fancy car it's like oh hey that's cool anyway you know like it's they're not at, like they're still a, an everyday occurrence for people yeah exactly so then we move it i mean there's a brief scene between rainier and her mother emma um which is i mean there's a lot of stuff that i said there's a lot of seeds in this first episode which i suspect right now like i i suspect um, I should have had the name of the writer on hand. So that's a little bit embarrassing for me. Um, one of you guys might know it. But we also know that George R. R. Martin was big in the creation of this one. So the writing is just is solid, as well as the writer did a, clearly a great job. I think the writing in this is really great. Um, so I suspect strongly um, that a lot of things that we think are innocuous in this first episode will turn into uh, significant things. Ryan J. Condell, I believe, is his name. So, I mean, I didn't notice it specifically, but I didn't notice the egg metaphor specifically, but you do notice, like, you know, she's sitting in her bed and she's talking about, ah, like, this pregnancy is really tough. Like, they really, <laughs> it was devastating what happened later on in the episode, but it shouldn't be so surprising given that we knew this was, like, such a brutal pregnancy and this is someone who's always struggled with it. And, like, she calls it her battleground. Probably should have been another hint. Um, but it, I mean, this and the scene that come after it, made me long for just it doesn't have to be a full series but like can we just get a season of things kind of like humming along like i would kind of like to just watch like life in westeros for a series would that's probably people need more drop than that but it's just such an interesting world and it's so well realized that i like this this first few scenes where things this is just that's just how things are like i kind of got addicted to it if that makes sense. Yeah, like, can we just get a Twitch stream of the small council meetings? <laughs> yeah. like Westeros yeah, like, C-SPAN uh, or something? Yeah, Westeros C-SPAN. Yeah, WCSPN, yeah. Sorry, just, Hannah. Um, Westeros reality TV. That sounds pretty interesting. I'm super down. Yeah. yeah, no, and, like, Simon, without spoiling anything, knowing how... Basically, House of the Dragon is supposed to tell the story of the war that was the Dance of the Dragons. Um, and knowing how that war plays out lore-wise, they definitely really did a good job like setting up foreshadowing and stuff that will come to fruition like years from now in Showtime, which is very interesting. Yeah, agreed. Like after that scene, like I was saying, we move on to a small council scene that I think is just great because like everyone in there, like I don't think anyone really stands out. Although um, Reese Fons, I think, yeah, it's a pluralized last name. Uh, what a phenomenal actor and like everything he's in. And I, I know that because I don't think I've like seen him star in anything. But he's just been one of those guys where whenever he pops up, I'm like, you were really gr-. like the fact that I remember him as uh luna lovegood's dad in one of the harry potter movies which is like such a bit role but like it sticks out in my mind like yeah he did great there and he like tried his best in that first spider-man movie of course he was just recently in far from home as well but the first time i heard him i was like motherfucker is that charles dance does his voice sound just like charles dance to anyone else or is that just me getting a little bit confused i didn't pick up on that but the the opening um like monologue just over the black screen i thought was cersei for nearly the entire thing so there's definitely a couple like 
near sound alikes going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so the uh, the small council meeting is just great, but it, it this is part of the scenes. Like this is relatively innocuous. Like I, I again, they talk briefly about the crab feeder. Like it's this pie or the triarchy, which has resulted in someone called the crab feeder and they're killing pirates. And that's just like seems to be the news of the day. But I'd be astonished if that didn't come up. But this this was the scenes and like later on, just like it made me realize that I was just craving. I, I won't call like Viserys a perfect king or something, but he's good. Like he clearly came on the right side of the coin flip. He's not perfect, as we'll see later, um, but he's clearly a good king and things are just humming along fairly well in the kingdom under his rule and everyone seems to be more or less happy like i'm sure it's not you know perfect but you understand what i'm saying so it's like man and again hannah you got to be so careful but there's just like no way that this guy survives more than a few episodes (laughs) right like we're talking about a civil war where's the civil war if fucking the king's still alive like how like how how like I can tell you the catalyst. You don't. You don't tell us war. shit that hasn't been on air. Okay, sounds good. Yeah. So that well, might be I, a little I, bit I, of a trick I for you, but talk about this once it unfolds a little bit more. Also, speaking of actors, like uh, I believe it's pronounced Patty Considine. Mm-hmm. So I had to look him up because I was like, this guy's like so good. What other stuff has he been in? And I looked him up and he's been in the uh, the Cornetto trilogy. That's the thing that I would know him from. I mean, he's also been in uh, Peaky Blinders. He was in a bit of that. So, you know, people who watch that show might be a little more familiar with him. But like, I just remember him as he's got my favorite bit in Hot Fuzz where they're doing like they do the, the slowly um, slide off screen. Thing they like they come, come in and out of the screen. screen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's. <laughs> One of the things I was all, I was kind of worried when I saw it was him. I'm like, oh no, I'm not going to be able to take him seriously. But he's really damn good. And after the initial five minutes of like, oh hey, it's that guy, I just totally bought him. Yeah, even I mean, with the beard and the hair, I didn't even recognize him. And uh, like, yeah, just phenomenal. Every, I mean, even I think George R. R. Martin did an interview where he talked about how great of a job that that Patty did, and it was like he put depth into the character that wasn't even there in my book, which you cannot get a higher compliment than that right and yeah like Like i created you and you were better than i could have possibly imagined yes not bad yeah i gotta say the the cast across the board really really good um yeah patty considine's great i don't know her name but the actress that plays rhaenyra i thought was really good um but goddamn matt smith holy shit uh i Mm -hmm. i'm a i'm a big doctor who fan and I was very uncertain about if I could see Matt Smith as anyone but the doctor. Not that I think he would do a bad job, but he's just like so particular yeah. that like I find sometimes through no fault of his own, I just can't see him as anything but himself. Um, but yeah, he killed it in this episode. I thought he was amazing. And like, what excellent casting. I don't think if you're trying to get someone that's like human, but like kind of just a bit different and like magical, you can't do any better than Matt Smith. He just, he looks exactly what I imagined a Targaryen would look like. I thought like everyone across the board was great, but Matt Smith like blew me away this episode. 
Agreed. And it's not a uh, like a non-Doctor Who fan, not like a Doctor Who you know, hater or anything like that, just as a agnostic to Doctor Who. I clearly knew about him, and then the but the only thing that I had really known that he had done outside of Doctor Who was like Morbius, <laughs> you know. Also, so really good in the Crown. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I just haven't seen the Crown. He was very good in the Crown. But uh, like, it's sometimes Doctor Who or the Doctors specifically jumping into other roles work. Like, um, what's his dick in uh, Jessica Jones? Yeah, David Tennant. David Tennant, and then sometimes they don't. Like other what's his dick, Christopher or something in Eccleston. Eccleston in Thor too. You knew exactly where I was going with that. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's like ah, sometimes whenever a doctor plays another role, you flip a coin. <laughs> and which way is it going to go? And yeah, like I who whatever casting director saw this performance out of him uh, should be. Well, they're probably going to be snatched up by Marvel next week because they have the best casting in the business. But yeah, um, a revolutionary performance by him. So far, I mean, it's only been one episode for fuck's sakes. But yeah, yeah. so then we have the scene of of uh, Rhaenyra confronting her uncle on the Iron Throne. And I, I do think there is something to what, uh, again, I'll give credit to good, uh, good old new rock stars. It's weird to say old new rock stars. Um, when they were talking about how the uh, daemon i don't think we actually said his name yet knows clearly how to sit on the throne like he's he's sitting in the opposite direction of his brother and he manages to not get cut where later on we see his brother get cut but i do have questions for you guys so it's going to be more for matt than hannah because you have the burden of uh of knowledge but like this is kind of with any other characters in any other show or even any other family in any other show or Sorry, any of the family in this show. A scene of an uncle giving a, a necklace to a niece is innocuous, and it's just a good uncle. In Game of Thrones <laughs> with Targaryens, I think we all see where I'm going with this. Like the first time I watched, it, I'm like, "That's cute." I've seen the episode three times now. The second two times, I was like, "Is that another seed that they're sowing?" I didn't get it going the other way. I didn't. I'm talking about incest, people. In case anyone out there is being a uh, is ignorant to it but it's like mm, I, I did see a little bit of a come on from from damon to Rhaenyra, and mm, i don't know how i feel about that but that's that's the way of a game of thrones you know yeah there was a slight moment where i was like are they doing this again i like might it might be a little bit weird to do the same thing with the same family twice in a row it you could also see it just as kind of like a power play where it's like I'm giving you something. Do what I tell you, while I, you know, whatever. Like it could just be a strictly like a power thing. Um, but yeah, there was definitely a moment there where I was like, mm-hmm. I mean, I, you know, it's it's one of those things that's like in world this makes sense. I don't know if I need to see it again. Um, so yeah, we'll see where that goes or or not. I mean, I'd just be shocked if like because that kind of resolves in his mind at least that resolves the whole what I would imagine is going to be the primary dispute of the season, right? Like who's the heir? It's like, yeah. well, if I do the Targaryen thing and look at Emma, also clearly a Targaryen, if I do the Targaryen thing and, and, and marry another Targaryen, then there you go. Heir problem resolved. We're both going to be on the throne. Although more me because I'm a man, but, uh, and then I don't mean to be a dick, but Emma was an Aaron. Oh, really? She's great. Then how's her hair that? How's her hair that white? Probably has Targaryen blood somewhere, but she was an Aaron. 
She was well, from the Vale. I mean, it's not a big dick. You're just pointing it out. So that's okay. But yeah, her hair is, I think, then intentionally very white to throw us off. How dare they? <laughs> you know, I could see that. Just a lot of interbreeding going on. Okay. Anyway. Oh, not yeah. the point. So good on Viserys, not to be incestuous. That just makes me like him even more. I liked him already before. I like him even more. Anyway, so we go straight from that scene to a scene where Rhaenyra is talking with uh, her best friend, Allison. And I don't know much, um, but I did watch uh, an alt shift. I've just watched so much YouTube videos on alt shift X, like in preparation of hot D episode. And so I yep, know one of the here. things that's changed. Yeah. So one of the things that's changed is that now Allison is younger. She's Rhaenyra's age. And I'll be honest, maybe I'm just like, I need to get bonked and go to horny jail. I kind of also thought there was some flirting in this scene. Am I crazy? Oh, I mean, they have a scene in a garden where she like... For sure. Oh, yeah. She laid her head in her lap and she's like, no, I'm very comfortable here. It's like, mm, I bet you are. I'm comfortable in this spot. Yeah, we can get a, a, a saddle with two seats for my dragon and we're going to fly around the world. Okay, so it's not just me, huh? That they are... Yeah, no, that was 100% queer baiting. Well, okay. So I call it foreshadowing. You call it queer baiting. So you think that they're oh, just going to go in a completely sorry, different Simon. direction. Well, because um, they're two different I intentions. Think, so I think that I they're know, doing it. I don't know if you guys are like aware of this, but it's pretty, it's common knowledge. So it's not a spoiler, but um, they have secondary actresses who will play Rhaenyra and Alicent because they're aging them up this season quite significantly. So there's going to be a time jump in this season. So like, I wouldn't put too much stock into like, that kind of stuff. I don't know. I mean, it's not. They're clearly changing at least something. I'd be, I'd be very surprised if something along these lines doesn't come well, what back they changed later. In the show mostly was that, um, like, Rhaenyra is older than she's supposed to be. Technically, when she was named heir, she was like six or seven years old because she was born in, I think, ninety-seven. After arrival, year ninety-seven. All right, but don't um, don't get lost in the weeds here. So, yeah, yeah I, th- no, I feel no, like no, you're making I'm my saying, case like, for me, where you're saying like there's already changes from the book. So I, I think that this might genuinely be a subplot. Okay, I mean that's all good. That makes sense. I'm just too literal, I think. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it's like a seed planted, but like they didn't close the door on it. Yeah, like no, I don't think they're going to it's going to be like the first like lesbian queenship in Game of Thrones history, but I would be surprised if like something around that like didn't come like oh man, like why do we have to be with the men? Like maybe they'll have like longing stares from across a field. I don't know. Something. I I if that's the only episode that has that type of subtext, I'll eat my hat. That's where I'm going with this. Maybe it's just a nice moment between friends. Yeah, right. There are no nice moments between friends in Westeros. It just doesn't happen. Unless it's immediately followed by tragedy. Exactly. So speaking of tragedy, so let's go. Speaking of things that are like almost positively foreshadowing, then we get to see uh, Viserys. He's getting a wound tended by two maesters. The wound is very pussy, very gross. They're trying to talk about how to uh, to do with it. I thought it was funny that the old guy was like, oh, we can do the same thing we've been doing. And then the new guy was like, what about cauterization? And then without saying, yes, that's a great idea. The old guy says to Viserys, you know, Lord, we could do cauterization. It was like, I don't know if that scene in, uh, yeah, exactly. 
of like, what was it, Spider-Man 2? Where they, got, like, they come up with a bunch of different names for Dr. Octopus. Uh, the guy says Dr. Octopus. He's like, no, that's terrible. Wait, no. What about Dr. Octopus? Great idea. Yeah, it was a classic boss move. It's like a little bit of funniness. But if that, that that's another thing. I don't think that that's just a cut from the thing. I think there's a problem. Why isn't he healing? I I don't think this is as innocuous as they made it sound. Well, I, I this may be even more thinly veiled than the um, queer baiting, shall we say. I think that's going to be something. His cuts oh, that aren't healing. Yeah, it's, I think it's pretty out in the open. It's like, there's a mysterious wound that's like clearly infected and we can't get to go away. Anyway, moving on, it's like, no, there's there's going to be something. Yeah. No, and I think that also ties into the fact that Targaryens are so inbred, even at this point, that they have health issues. It's why they have trouble having kids, as we see later in the episode, right? So I think that just kind of drives it home. Yeah, yeah. so something's going to come from that. A sickly get... bunch. Exactly. Yep. Then you get a lovely, uh, lovely scene with Viserys and his wife. I mean, like... Again, I thought they did a really good job of both the writing and uh, Patty Considine's face did a really good job of selling that, even though he makes what I think everyone would probably agree is the wrong choice later in the episode, I didn't doubt that Viserys actually genuinely loved Emma, like, which I think they needed for there to be some like doubt as to whether or not he's going to make the right or the wrong choice, but then it's game of thrones of course but like i really liked the way their relationship was portrayed they didn't have a lot of scenes together but i thought they did a a good job with the ones they had yeah i i felt like an actual connection between them for sure of course you know he's still a medieval king so he's gonna be a dick sometimes um but yeah i like weirdly genuinely felt bad for him later on in the scene where he kills his wife uh so it's like (laughs) that's that's some pretty good writing to get you there i think are we yeah. talking about the birthing scene? Because I want to talk about the controversy around it that's been coming up. We'll get there. We're going kind of chronologically. Okay. I'm just like literally cool. like leafing through the episode as we go because I don't, I don't want to miss anything. So then we have another thing I discovered on the alt shift X that you guys probably both knew that Damon was the one who gave the gold cloaks their gold cloaks. But uh, I thought that a lot of this episode, and this may be the first part of it, um, like apparently the book that it's based on, Hanny Kanoto confirm this, is more of a it's, it's not like an omniscient third person. It's more of a retelling from a couple different people. Yeah, it's basically a history book. Yeah, so what they're doing is kind of vague. So like they're talking about how that they're like, you know, getting the murderers and rapists and, and thieves and all that kind of stuff. But at no point in that scene is it ever even close to clear that the people that they're accusing have actually done anything. So like that's just gonna be one of those things where I it probably will come up later, where Damon might be like, "Wow, they were whatever." Like we, you know, but they just seem well, to be grabbing no. people at random, which I thought was intentional. It no, like the the one I remember was the rapist where he cuts his dick off, and I think that was like someone had told him like, "Hey, he raped me" or whatever. Like I don't, of course, unsubstantiated, but I think in the small council meeting after that scene. They were complaining about him, like, doling out his own justice or meeting everyone meeting his own justice because that was too much. And they, like, threatened him about it after. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I watched the scene a couple of times. I couldn't 
I couldn't find a thing. I mean, the rapist, like maybe that's somewhere that I, I just didn't catch, but it just seemed like uh, they were just, you know, this person did this, this person did that. So maybe they had like heard it or they'd been accused, but it was shot in such a way that it could kind of, I think it was intentionally ambiguous is where I'm going with this. I think that if you wanted to read it as like, you know, they heard from people and now they're going up and like they have their people on their shit list. You could read it like that, or if you wanted to read it as they were going in and being like, you, you probably stole something. Let's cut your arm off. I think you could read it like that. I need to watch it a third time because I was pretty sure I I heard, like, the actual, like, justifications for stuff. Um, But, I mean, again, I'll watch it again and I'll eat my words if I'm wrong. Yeah, I think, like... It's probably one of those things where it's like, you know, they sort of go to like a den of thieves and and clear it out because it was like the 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 people's objections was that he was too harsh. It's not that like, but you don't even know that they weren't criminals. It was just like, mm, I don't know that you need to murder all of them. Um, so it's like, I mean, I'm sh- I'm sure they all didn't deserve it, but it's probably wasn't coming out of nowhere but on the same at the same time when he's like hyping them up beforehand he's like the city will fear you you're hounds and it's not like you know we need to protect the city and you know like uh you know protect the businesses and protect the women and whatever it's just like hey let's go fuck these guys up yeah exactly no that's that's a really good point too because like it it Looking at the scene from that perspective, it's almost as though Damon is trying to, like, cement the loyalty of his gold cloaks. He has 2,000 of them or something, and they were talking about that after. So, like, it's almost like he's hyping them up, and you see later in the episode he takes them to, like, a brothel and stuff. So, it's... Yeah, and I think there's... Power there's move that, for sure. And the quote from George his army about Damon was that... Uh, He's got equal parts light and dark, which is something that I really liked because if they wanted to, and kind of I had to like trust fall for lack of a better word. I had to trust fall into this series because I was just so used to like the old Game of Thrones where at the end it was very black and white. The gray was gone. And I was like, well, you know, okay, so you got Rhaenyra who's the good character and you got Damon who's the bad character. And I think that they did a great job of, of riding the line where it's like, well, was this brutal? Yeah, but... If you're a murderer, thief, or rapist, and you didn't get caught, you're probably going to be a little more careful now. So, like, yeah. not great, but it did maybe have the intended result. But, like, I'm watching the scene on I've got it on in the background just while you guys were talking. That he sends his gold cloaks out. There's literally no dialogue. They just straight out run into the thing, and then they just seem to be grabbing people. So I guess you could make the argument that off screen they knew where to go to grab people. And mm-hmm. then his... uh captain for lack of a better word is literally just walking around pointing at people with like some little knife thing and is like thief and then they go and they chop his arm off then he walks around again raper and then they chop his uh in that case dick off but i mean okay so you're right then yeah it may have been another scene that i didn't notice but i that's what i mean like you we all watched it and got something different out of it which i think is exactly what they want you to get out of the show no, Dang. but like back to your point where Damon, like George R. R. Martin said, Damon is like a mix of light and dark. Basically, that's why I find Targaryens compelling because none of them are purely good. Not one of them. They're all power drunk, and it's great to watch. I don't know, and it makes it for interesting characters because you never really know what they're going to do morally. 
I mean, you could probably make Except the good old Maester Aemon. Yeah, true. <laughs> but he he renounced <laughs> being a Targaryen though, so exactly. Yeah, he like, could have been king, and then here we are. Yeah, yeah. Who knows the the king that we never had? Like, uh, what's the line that they call the other lady? The, the queen, queen that, never that was. wasn't, I think. Who yeah. never was? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, Maester Aemon could be the the queen that was. So after that, they have a council meeting, and I think that like again, Reese Fons. He maybe isn't. Um, it's not as bombastic of a performance as the standouts that we've already talked about, being you know Matt Smith and Patty Considine. But I think that he's just he fits so perfectly in the Game of Thrones thing, where he's like he's on the side of the king, and we like the king, so we're getting along with him. But then he's like really against the king's brother. But like we're kind of also against the king's brother, so we don't know how to deal with that. So it's like I, you kind of don't know how to feel about him the entire time. And then later on in the episode, he just kind of offers up his daughter. And you're like, okay, well, that's really fucking gross. So, yeah, all these small council meetings, I thought they clearly went over the writing with a fine-tooth comb. And it paid off because they're, uh, like, chef's kiss. Beautiful. Oh, yeah. He, like, he sort of starts off just like, okay, yeah, he's just a regular guy. Kind of seems competent. But, like, even just within the one episode, it's like, no, he's got some layers to him i could i could see him developing into a, a very interesting character i think he's a, a I, i'm looking forward to seeing some more small council meetings with him for sure are you i'm sorry i'm ignorant to actors names for a lot of stuff but you're uh, auto hightower. The guy that plays auto hightower yes he yeah. is fantastic and do we have I'm any high towers like major high towers in game of thrones do we know who uh, he's not not that are very important they get yeah. mentioned once or twice but they never really play a role i don't think Okay. No, and by the way, the so like the next scene by the end, I think. Yeah. Well, like I mean, by the time Strong of Ice and Fire starts. Yeah, there's been a lot of uh, it's been a lot of shifting, but on the the house moment, like the next thing that comes up is the the tournament. Well, actually, the next thing that comes up is the brothel scene. So it's like you didn't think you were gonna get through uh, a Westeros show, uh, the pilot of a Westeros show, without some a brothel scene, did you? We were no, robbed we were of Matt Smith dong. I know. Come on. <laughs> Dude, I swear to God. Again, I've watched it a couple times. Like when he's grabbing his towel or his robe, he like kind of holds it above his dick and then it like lowers just for a half a second. Like he teases you. Very clever, Matt Smith. But yeah, yeah. I mean, like, come on. We've come far enough. It's 2022. Yeah. Wait, we need Matt Smith. We had... Sorry. No, go ahead. Um, I don't know if you guys have watched Euphoria. It doesn't really seem like your thing, but there's an episode in I think season one or two where there is literally a dick montage, where they put probably like twenty dicks on the screen within thirty seconds. So after HBO did that, like they really couldn't give us Matt. Like what? Yeah. Maybe they they, they made us look at Theon and Hodor's limp dicks. You're not going to give yeah. us Matt Smith? Come on. Yeah rude <laughs> this, maybe they're gonna if that's that's your season finale you know they got nothing it's gonna be more <laughs> meaningful if you want it the entire time that's like the the like the last shot reveal like daenerys's dragons and, and matt exactly. smith dong <laughs> uh, well, matt we're on we're on the podcast we could say cock matt smith dong. <laughs> yeah. that's uh, the, the real deep cut for the og fans yeah for the og fans so the the scene that i kind of uh skipped over a little bit there but i mean i was just thinking like the the whore that he's um 
that he's having sex with. I was going to say fucking. I could say fucking. That's what he was doing. If it's from the back, it's definitely fucking. It wasn't passionate. It wasn't uh, the Cal Drogo, what he learned to do with Daenerys, right? Um, but she seemed to know a lot about his life. Like, she was giving him some, like, meaningful advice multiple times in the show. So it I wasn't think... just like he I showed up. She's more, like, kind of his companion, not necessarily a prostitute. Didn't he take her back to the veil with him at the end? Pretty sure he did. Yes, yeah. Yeah. So she knows him. It's not like he was just like, here's a few coppers. Bye. Wasn't just some rando. Yeah, I just thought yeah. that it was interesting how much she knew. Well, I mean, I guess that's the point of the scene. To, like, tell us, like, hey, this isn't just some random chick. But then she does ask, do you want me to find someone silver-haired? It's like, uh. Well, she's still but, a whore. Right, but I that also cemented the... Uh, watching this scene now made me look at that oh. scene with uh the necklace and make it you know think about it so i yeah although we are in a time period where like there are silver-haired people besides the targaryens because it's not specifically targaryens it's valyrians who have silver hair oh, famously emma aaron is a silver-haired and we would never yeah. confuse her for a targaryen yes. who would do that so, so not not discounting the incest angle but it's not necessarily that Mm-hmm. No, but no other houses came over from old Valyria, did they? Well, the um, shoot, I'm forgetting their the actual house, house name Valerian. now. But Lord Corliss, their yeah, their family's Valyrian. Oh yeah, Valyria. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that makes sense. I wasn't hundred percent sure. I know the Corliss house died out. I think after the Dance yeah, of Dragons. Yes, but if. <laughs> Again, not an expert. If alt shift X is to be believed, uh, they're also a Valyrian house. Okay. <laughs> and I think he is. Alt shift F seems to know his shit. So then we get into the the tourney scene, and just a great scene. Like it, you know, there's been a lot of tourney scenes in a lot of movies and TV shows, and this was a great version of it. But the thing that I like that stood out again that separated this show from Game of Thrones. I think it was kind of the equivalent of going to like going from X Men to to uh to like iron man where like in game of thrones it was realistic and it looked good and all that kind of stuff but this one i was definitely happy to see a little more color to see a little more variety in the houses i mean there were like definitely some things like that in game of thrones like i think that you know the hound's helmet is shaped like a hound but like when they go over and damon challenges uh gawain hightower and his head looks like a tower i was like yeah that's the type of shit i'm looking at and all the knights are very visually distinct that just was uh pleasing to the eye in a way that game of thrones i don't think actually had the confidence to be for a long time certainly yeah it was a lot more um i mean you know it started in 2011 it was only a few years after the dark knight so we were still in uh, dark and gritty times um but yeah there was like you had to kind of look closely to to sort of notice the heraldry and all the colors a lot of the time. This time, it's just it's really upfront, which is great. It's it's nice to see, and it's also like it kind of makes sense because this is also like you know closer to kind of like the height of of the the kingdom. So like you know things are a little bit cleaner, they're a little bit more colorful. Um, you know we get fucking dragon head helmets and and castle helmets and and things like that and it's really cool to see like matt smith's armor for the jousting scene looks incredible it's like yeah i actually believe that that's like the prince who has all this like incredibly made armor and i look at him and i go wow like he looks he looks like a prince walking around in that armor absolutely and it makes sense too because if you look at things from like a historical perspective of where Westeros was at at the two different times. 
um, what in House of the Dragon, they're coming off of what seventy years of peace almost. Yeah, they, um, they, they call yeah. reign before Viserys was like they said sixty years of peace, and now Viserys is almost ten years in. And then Game of Thrones time, they're what ten years after a war, fifteen years after a brutal war. So it's just interesting to see like the country in a different shape, you know. Yep, and this scene again cemented because not long after this is it really kind of going to go off the rails immediately but this scene really cemented it just like this is the type of thing that honestly i would happily watch like i mean some people did in the end die but later on in the scene we kind of i guess we'll just jump around through everything regarding the tourney but um i just enjoyed watching like how's the prince going to handle this like is he good enough like you know they're doing their things where they're kind of smoozing up the crowd a little bit i didn't mind that um the, the jousting was entertaining to watch, like the back and forth. Damon cheats just a little bit, but I think he clearly got away with it, you know, tripping the he cheats in a cool again. way, so it's okay. Yeah, well, I thought, I was thinking, like, oh, did they not notice that? But I thought maybe, like, jousting is just so quick. Like, there's no yeah. instant replay. Good, good mean, to know the rule of cool still, you know, exists in Westeros. Exactly. If they can't get offsides correct, then there's no chance they're going to get this fucking correct. They don't even selection. have video replay. They, yeah, they don't even have the net cam. They don't even have Wes McCauley to make the call. Um, so yeah, like of course they're going to get that wrong. But keeping that in mind, when it got to the end, and uh, like he pulls out the dagger and they're having the duel, and he's like, the prince would like to continue the duel on foot. They draw their swords and stuff like that, and they have that little duel. And then he gets beat. He gets beat because he was hot-dogging, but he does get beat. And the old Game of Thrones fan in me was just like, okay, well, that guy's going to die. And he might die in a different episode. But to me, it was just like, he's not going to yield. He's going to fight this guy to the death and he's going to kill him brutally. And like, this just how it goes. But I thought it was a, a, a smart choice to have Damon be the type of character who knows when to take the strategic L and yield in that moment. I thought that was actually great. And, uh, thoroughly refreshing yeah i thought it was actually a like a another refreshing choice to have one of the main characters be just pretty good like not clearly the best or clearly a joke like he's still you know clearly skilled because he's highborn he'd have all kinds you know he'd have all the best training everything like he's clearly a good warrior um but he's not like running over everybody and he's not getting run over there's like actually some room in the middle that like just makes it feel a little bit more real yeah yeah like exactly. he's human he's not some kind of warrior god or anything he's not jamie let's let's make the comparison clear right that's what they kept hearing about jamie oh he's just the best he's just the fucking best and they kind of had to take that away from him but it was like yeah this is he's just yeah. he's it's like there can only be one best most people actually aren't the best <laughs> yeah true which is crazy because it turns out that I am actually the best. Anyway, another <laughs> point. Uh, so then we go into, I mean, one of the hardest to watch scenes uh, mm -hmm. that I've seen all year. But this this birthing scene, and again, it was so well done where it doesn't seem like, again, by the time you get to a lot of seasons of Game of Thrones, like you get the feeling that the maester is kind of competent, but clearly he's not a gynecological expert or anything like that. But they seem to know a thing or two. He's not like an idiot right and so he gives what we now know is the advice to do a c-section um and i thought that that just the acting on on patty's face for what viserys was thinking during that moment was just brilliant because i think 
you can entirely see just in his face the fence that he's on and uh, that it wasn't an easy choice. And I was just sitting there praying. I'm like, okay, I know this is Westeros, so you're going to make the wrong one. (laughs) But the fact that they gave me hope that he might have picked his wife's life uh, was, again, I'll keep using that word because we're coming off of disappointment. So that was refreshing that I was unsure. See, I didn't get that from that scene. I, after watching the scene in the bathtub where um, Emma is like, I can't do this again. And seeing the scene, was it before that or after that, where Viserys is so adamant he's about to have a son. I knew there wasn't ever going to be another decision for him. Like, I didn't have hope he would make the right one. And I watched it twice because of the controversy around it. And the maester never says that Emma is guaranteed to die if they don't do the C-section. He only says he's guaranteed. she's guaranteed to die if they do do it. So, I don't know. I think that makes it a lot darker because a lot of people are arguing that, okay, well, maybe um, if they hadn't done the C-section, she would like she would have 100 percent died anyway. But they were saving the baby. They weren't picking the mom, you know, or like they weren't considering the mom. Yeah. Okay, so that's the controversy you're referring to. Yeah. So we'll we'll, we'll do the little roundtable then, because, yeah, when when I watched it, I thought. Because, I mean, again, so well written that you can get whatever you want to get out of it. But I thought the maester was like, you have to make an impossible choice. Sometimes you have to choose one or the other. And this may be an option when he, like, points out that it might be fatal to the mom. But, yeah, you're right. They don't give give another option. Because I was thinking like that. How would they – what would the other – and the baby's got to get out. So how else do you do it? Uh, Maybe I'm just too ignorant in the ways of childbirth. But yeah, that's the way I saw it is he was like, you know, this is an option. It's not a good option, but Matt, which way did uh which way did you interpret that scene? Yeah, I kind of thought it was presented as like, do you want the baby to live or do you want the mother to live? And like, yeah. you know, they don't explicitly say that, but it I, I felt it that was sort of clearly that's that's the choice that was presented to him. Where it's like you know, if we don't do this, like, who knows what can happen? It's probably nothing good, but who knows? And if we do do this, then she's definitely going to die and the baby will probably be fine. So I thought, you know, I, I, I didn't really see it as as anything else than that. Although I, I also agree with Hannah. I don't think, I never believed that he wasn't going to do it. Like, the majority of his screen time up to this point was him basically hyping up the birth of his son. And so as as soon as the guy was like mm, it's difficult i'm like no she's dying there's there's no way she doesn't die and there's no and when he has the choice it's like he's gonna choose he's gonna choose the kid it's very good writing and incredible acting that like when he was making that choice i felt bad for him even though he's making a horrible decision um and he's clearly tortured about it but i never believed that he was going to make a different choice see and it's funny that you say that like you felt bad for him because I felt bad for Emma. I felt nothing but, like, disgust for him. But, I mean, that could just be because, like, I'm a woman. And oh, I like relate a little more. <laughs> oh, I just say, I also feel horrible for Emma. Like, that scene was horrifying to watch. Um, 
but uh but yeah i i felt bad for both even though he's like clearly doing something horrible yeah i don't think uh feeling bad about emma precludes us from also feeling bad for viserys but yeah i oh, mean no, you phrased I'm, just it as I'm just saying like i didn't feel bad for him at all and i understood why he made his decision because like you said he's a medieval king securing his lineage is the most important thing to him but continue sorry yeah it's sort of oh. one of those like it's like <laughs> if if this was a, a modern show this would be horrible within the like morality and the practicalities of the world presented it's like i understand that things work kind of differently and maybe it's just a matter of uh like i was just kind of attached to their relationship and i was attached to how fucking great of an actor that patty considine turned out to be that like just looking at his face i mean clearly the net negative comes out on um on Emma, but she also isn't like one of the main characters. Like even when, during this scene, they spend a lot of time focused on, on Viserys's face. So when you do that and you've got an actor as good as he is, uh, like you don't have any choice or I didn't have any choice, but to feel empathy for the poor bastard, even though it's just like, ugh, this is too terrible. So I saw it as like, you're right. It's, I didn't see it as a necessity that one was going to go the other way, but it was like, okay, let's get the baby out. And that's how he phrased it to her. So it might just be that he's lying to himself, but he's like, we're going to get the baby out, you know, and we'll, Hopefully we could take care of her, but we're going to get the baby out. That's kind of how I saw it. And of course, which leads into intentionally, but one of the most heartbreaking shots uh, that you're really ever going to see the shot of like the one, um, because at that point you don't know, right? You just have like the, and again, he's a small actor. I don't even know his name, but the guy who plays the maester when he's like, it's a boy son, but you don't hear the kid cry. And then he looks at the kid and his face just drops like just a little bit. Just yep. a little bit. And you're like, oh, shit. And then you get to the scene where you get the one body and it pans down to a small body. It's like, oh, this is this is still Game of Thrones. God damn you, George R.R. <laughs> R. R. Martin. You did it to me again. There's no happy endings here. <laughs> Someone cue. It's, it's been long enough. We could cue that one uh, quote from What's-His-Dick. Uh Ramsey, we can get that on repeat again. For a while, it was un unavoidable. If you thought this was gonna have a happy ending, ugh, awful. You haven't been paying attention. Yeah, <laughs> but then it goes. The the scene kind of smartly goes immediately from that to a small council meeting, which again is where I thought that that they. The, I mean, the framing of the actual like shots. I thought that they did like you know they'll have the shots of the council on either side. Um, and I think it's the guys on the left side. There's more on that side, but then they also have just a lot of shots of of Viserys kind of on his own. And I thought he does his his best acting of the scene, and they you know get a subtle reference to feast for quote crows in there. But again, just ugh, so good that scene. I, I you guys need to talk because I can't keep just saying it's so good. But yeah. it is. Well, the, so there good. there's also the the funeral scene, which I thought was very well done. Um, in between there, and I think. Um, and I, I'm forgetting her name again, but the, the actress that plays Rhaenyra, I think this was her like best acted scene. It's like the, really the moment when, yes, the moment when she like goes to command the dragon, like she, she's about to say Dracarys and then she just kind of like, it kind of like gets caught in her throat. She can't do it. I, I was, I was really feeling for her in that moment. I thought she was excellent in that scene. Yeah. And she kind no, of was... over the word a little bit. Yeah. I'm... It 
it was just so powerful because like the Karis is like the 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 like go word of the show and like to have that in the first episode is really cool yeah there's so much weight behind that word now yeah mm-hmm and also, I think it was again shout out to the new Rockstars guys. They are great. Uh, that that she pronounces it slightly different than Daenerys did, right? Because it's been, you know, she's probably, well, she's fluent in it in a way that Daenerys at least wasn't at the beginning. She clearly was at the end, but she yeah, probably her accent is much knows, better. Yeah, she knows a more pure version of. Uh, yeah, her accent, her accent was much better, but D- Danny was also raised speaking High Valyrian. Um, the way Danny said it also kind of changed throughout the show. Like she's the first time she says it, I think like season th- two, season three, like she says it sort of in the actual, like, I mean, who knows how accurate any of the accents are, how they're meant to be. But like, she says it clearly with some kind of actual accent. And then as it went on, it just kind of became like Dracarys. Yeah, I agree. Like they definitely, she definitely lost the accent there. But then I guess like that could also be like she's in Westeros. She's probably speaking Westerosi more. Yeah, she's not. She's not like putting on her Valyrian accent to try and, yeah. you know, sound like, I, better to the, to the other native speakers. I go home to the farm for a week, and I I have a bit of Ukrainian accent when I come back, like because I speak so much Ukrainian. So like, it's kind of believable. I don't know. She went uh, full Wanda Maximoff. What happened to your accent? What happened? What to happened your... to yours? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so good. So then you get uh, again a great scene with my boy Reese uh, slash Otto Hightower, but also like just a fucking gross scene because I mean uh, the, the characters, the girls are kind of ambiguously aged, but it seems like there's anywhere in like the twelve to sixteen range. Again, it's probably good that I can't pinpoint the age of young girls. That's a a trait that I'm going to be proud of. If I like looked at them, I'm like, yep, fifteen. That would be a bad sign. But there's That's somewhere a green in like, flag. yeah, it's a green flag. There's somewhere in that age. So, just to remind you what franchise you're in, when Otto's like, maybe go, uh, you know, give the king, and immediately you're just like, is he implying? And then he's like, and go ahead and wear a dress of your dead mother. And I was like, oh god. Oh. It's like, oh, he is doing what I thought he was doing. Great. Yep. Oh, yeah. Well, we're back. <laughs> I think. Oh, sorry. Continue. Nope. Nope. I, I think that moment also really helps set up Otto Hightower's character as being power hungry, because Damon accuses him of it before, because he said he's a second son standing to inherit nothing. Like, why is he your hand? He just wants power. So I think that, like, him using his daughter very blatantly, is like another good way to sort of set that up. Yeah, exactly. You're not um, supposed to treat him as a good character. Just yeah. And and like yeah. and to that point, he's sort of been portrayed as just sort of like common sense, seems competent, like nothing sketchy. He has like it's a nice scene with his daughter uh, up to that point, um, which honestly should be a bigger tip off than anything he actually does. There's no wholesome scenes in this world. There's only red flags. They're just yeah. disguised <laughs> as wholesome scenes. Anything nice is manipulation. Exactly. We don't get uh, we don't get happy moments here. So then you get a scene. I kind of like this too. Like, I mean, some people are talking about um, the scene of Viserys in his chambers where he's like, I would say building the model. That's how I interpreted that. Like he's, it looked like he was, you know, polishing stuff up. So he's I working on the like, Game of Thrones intro. 
Yeah, he's working at the yeah. Game of Thrones. So I interpreted this as like he's a huge dork who likes miniatures. And I was like, yeah, buddy. <laughs> like, king in his main time. But of course, if I was the king, I'd have all the miniatures. I want to have all the miniatures now. Yeah, he's he's like not some like brute tyrant. He's very different from, from someone like Robert. Or, um, you know, he's just like, he actually has interest. Like, you know, someone made reference to the fact that he's, you know, passionate about history and stuff like that. It's like, this guy is like, actually seems like you know, not just sort of like a tyrant ruler. And this coming after we see him make the decision to kill his wife just immediately kind of humanizes him again. Just yeah. coming on tail of that. And I thought yeah. he uh, he played it so well too. Hannah, I'll go to you in a second. He played it so well too when she comes in. And like I just saw it the first eye, like when he kind of looks up at her and she's came in. So this, I just saw like clearly they're family friends. Like you know, she's the daughter of his hand, and she's also clearly best friends with, with his daughter. So I was like, oh, like okay, you're a part of my life. It's a little bit unusual that you're here, but like oh yeah, it's you. And then I thought that a little bit over the course of the scene, his eyes kind of played out, and you can also see I would say a lot of terror in her eyes. Like I don't have it in front of me, um, the lady who plays Allison, but great acting by that young woman as well. But I thought that his eyes, like, he slowly kind of understood the move that was being made as the scene went on. And, uh, again, I don't know how they keep pulling these remarkable performances out of people, but, well, Miguel Sapochnik, man. I mean, we just talked about at the beginning all our favorite episodes. He did, like, half of them. So, yeah, that man's a wizard. He's one of the OGs. Anyway, sorry, Hannah, what were you saying? Um... This is just more like an overarching thing about Viserys' character. I think having him alone just working on a model, um, it just adds to his sort of like softness or like weakness we see from him. And I think that's going to be important later on. Like, yeah. Yeah, like you guys see it as like more of a positive and I see it as like a normal king would not be doing something like that. And combining that with the throne cutting him and the wound that won't heal, he's set up to be quite weak, I think. And I think well, that just sort of adds into it. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a tough line to ride because we're aware, and I feel like I feel like we're talking about Harry Potter here because I keep wanting to call it like the Game of Thrones universe, but then I know one of you two will jump on me. It's like actually, Game of Thrones was only the name of the show. So, you know, it's just like, I got to call it the Wizarding World. Okay, so I got to call it the Westeros World or whatever. What do we, I don't know what the, the IP is officially called, but he's got a lot of traits that I find admirable in a person and in a king. And that that's why I was saying earlier, I would like to watch a good amount of it. But at, I can also respect that in this show, in this world, they're not good. And that's where a lot of like the... Uh, terror might be too strong of a word but like the the incoming foreboding dread for the character comes and it's like you're going to die because of the things i like about you you know it's the same i, I was a really big fan of ned stark and i had never read the book so like that was a jarring one for me but it was like when you look at it he's like he's guaranteed to die because of all the character traits that i actually like admired in him the most so that's where more where I see that. It's like I love that we have a king that's like playing with models and is a human. And because of that, he's definitely not gonna make I don't know about the season, but he's definitely not making it through the end of the, the series. Yeah, it's it's like the things that make him an interesting or a decent person 
don't make him a strong king. And like it, like it was, well, it's, it's kind of like going back to the discussion from a couple episodes ago. It's like being good doesn't make you worthy and being good doesn't necessarily make you strong. Even if you should be, you also need to be strong in this kind of thing. And yeah, there, there's some decent foreshadowing already that he maybe doesn't necessarily have that. See, and that's why I like the characters George R. R. Martin creates because they have to have a balance of good and brave and cunning and whatever, like all the qualities you need to be a good leader. They have to have those fairly well balanced to survive. Otherwise, whatever they have out of balance will eventually kill them. And I always I find that very interesting. Yeah, because a lot of the characters are in positions where, like, people are literally out to get them and will kill them to take their power if given the chance. So it's like, you like, we love the good characters, but in order to survive, that doesn't always serve you the best. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. Like, for Ned, he was purely good, and he gave Cersei a chance, and that's why he lost his head. He was too good for that world, basically. Mm -hmm. Yep, same thing for Rob, and you could argue the same thing for John. John just had a little bit of Deus Ex Machina to uh, yeah. to come back. But yeah, well, and even Tywin, Tywin's thing was his pride, and he thought he was so much better than Tyrion. He thought he had Tyrion under his thumb. Then he died on the shitter. Like, it's very interesting. I don't know. This would be uh, maybe we'll save this for next time uh, because I do want to wrap this episode up at some point. But I'm kind of curious if you you know what? I will give you guys homework and also the people out there. I should hype this up even though this isn't a regular episode. Hype this up, um, Facebook.com/slash/NerdToTheNorthPodcast. I'm kind of curious. Um, so for next time, I want all your top five. I'll say Game of Thrones, but it could be from the books too if it's a character that didn't make it. I want to know your top five characters. I want to know where everyone lands on the characters. So not like the ones that were most successful, but like your personal favorite. And then we might be able to kind of compile, you know, where everyone stands and what they, they look for in a character. Cause we're all coming at it from different angles, which is why, I mean, it's so, so brilliant that you can get so much. Speaking of things that are open to interpretation, beautiful segue, Simon. Thank you. Uh, the scene where you get, you see part of the, the thing of Damon in the, uh, the brothel. And he certainly makes a speech. But then you don't hear him say what Otto accuses him of saying. And uh, and then Viserys accuses him of it as well. Says, like, did you say uh, air for a day or whatever it was? And then Damon doesn't say he didn't, but he also doesn't say he does. So again, they're clearly doing it intentionally, quite ambiguously. A good line to ride, but ultimately... I... <laughs> Again, one of the things I admire about Viserys that's going to get him killed is that, for better or for worse, he was sticking up for his brother. He was genuinely the only person in the room. And we know that Damon was eavesdropping on a lot of those conversations. Viserys was genuinely the one who was sticking up for him. That wasn't just an act. And then he feels betrayed by his brother in that moment. And was that true? Was it not? I mean, even if Damon said, no, I didn't say it, that's probably he probably was smart enough to realize that's this is not the type of conversation where... You can talk him out of that. That's not happening here. Which was no, and I'm so sorry. No, go ahead. 
Um, no, and I think that plays up to Damon's um, character very well because he's like, you can see it on his face. He's like, I'm not going to pick this fight. Like, or I'm not going to, like, sort of push back. He he gives his brother what for about being the hand and everything. But he, um, in the end, he he's just like, all right, you want to be mad at me? You want to listen to these crazy people or whatever um because you can tell he doesn't like Otto hightower and the rest of the small council and they don't like him um go ahead you do that you take their advice i'll leave you know and you kind of see when he leaves at the end of Syraxes, he's like okay we're done here i don't know that was kind of my interpretation of that was like he's just not even going to try because i don't think damon would say that from what I've picked up from his character so far, I don't think he's stupid enough to say something like that in front of a brothel full of people. And he also wasn't looking to make a speech either. So it wasn't like he went there with that intention. It was kind of his commander who who egged him on a little bit and like made everyone shut up, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, and they sort of, it's like, oh, when you were in this thing and you made this speech for all your men at a celebration. And then when we see him actually say, it's like, actually quite quiet and subdued and i was like oh this is different than what i was expecting based on what they were talking about so it's like maybe maybe he didn't yeah yeah who knows how he uh how he handled that by the way speaking of characters um that we didn't talk about too much but i suspect it's going to come up um lord corliss valerian uh he was one of them i think other than otto who i think was just phenomenal as i'm i I've fawned about him enough. But I think that Corliss is going to be a very interesting character because he was the one who, like, rode the line the most. Like, you had the couple other small council members who was like, yeah, they have, like, their opinions. Like, you have the Master of Coin and whatever the other guy was who was talking about the City Watch. Like, sure. But Corliss kind of, like, jumped around a few times, right? Like, I mean, there's a great – I won't even try it and talk about it because – but there's a great part of the new Rockstars breakdown where they talk about how he – when he's listening, he refuses wine, and then he'll take wine when the conversation shifts. Like little details like that are just so brilliant. But I thought when they're talking about heirs, he's pro um, Damon until he hears that like maybe we're gonna entertain the idea of a woman being queen, and then he throws his wife back into the mix. So it's like okay, I think like we don't know which way this guy's gonna go, but I think he's trying to make moves, and that's interesting to see from a, a small character like that. It is. And like, I also really enjoyed watching the relationship between him and Rainey's. Like, they seem to have a very, like, a good marriage by Westerosi standards. And um, it'll be interesting to watch how that develops because I think they're going to be pretty significant in, like, behind the scenes stuff. Um, just given their status and everything and the attention given to them so far. Yeah, the emphasis that was kind of placed on his stances on things, I, I feel like he's going to end up being uh, a major player in this. There's uh, not, I don't know if he's going to be like scheming because he's also kind of upfront about everything. He wasn't like, you know, he wasn't like obviously hiding anything or something like that. But it, they're obviously kind of scorned by the way things went with the last succession. Um, so I, I would expect them to make some kind of play. Yeah. Agreed. Seems inevitable. So after, man, we're kind of running out of season of the episode, which is a shame because it's been such a good episode. But then after that, you get maybe 
the only scene that I didn't like, and I only didn't like half of it. So, I mean, the ending is a lot of things cut together. So you get the scene of uh, Rhaenyra being sworn in, where you have to bring in all the heads of houses, and they're getting sworn in. So you get like a little House Stark Easter egg, and that's happening at the same time as uh, Damon kind of hanging out with his dragon, and he takes off. So you get to see the blood worm, Caraxes, with his deformed long neck and his wings on his feet. Very cool. But I loved the scene of the father and daughter talking in the crypt until, and maybe this is my ignorance. I just have to trust the show. I uh, let's phrase it like this. Hannah, have you seen uh, the Batman? Yes. Perfect. So spoilers for the Batman. It felt like when they threw the Joker in at the end of the Batman, when they decided to talk about the, uh, the song of ice and fire, like, this is coming. I'm like, what the fuck does that have to do with anything? Like, I know in the context of the world, that's something that he might say. But, like, we know how that ended. We all hated it. Like, I just, I didn't need to be brought back to the reality of, like, okay, I was enjoying forgetting that that existed and just enjoying this world for a while. And that was like, no, wait, hey, remember where this goes? Don't get too attached because none of this matters because fucking... You know, the fact that the last Targaryen is a Targaryen doesn't actually matter for shit. He's going to go up into the north and then, you know, Bran the Broken is going to become king. Like, it brought me so far back to Earth. That was genuinely the only part of this episode that I didn't love was where he talked about the dream. Man, the ending of Game of Thrones is out here even making other shows worse. (laughs) (laughs) I, I I also got kind of distracted by that. Same with the cat's paw dagger. Um, Whereas, like, it's not that it doesn't make sense that that would be in there, but it, yeah, it just felt so obviously like, hey guys, look, remember this, huh? Remember this? It's like, yes, I I get it. I, I, I see what you're doing. Anyway, yes, let's let's continue on. Um, so it's like, I don't, I don't know that it was, it, it wasn't like a huge deal, but it was definitely distracting. It kind of pulled me out of it. See, yeah. for me, I appreciated it. I didn't think it made it bad. I think... It kind of, like, D&D, whatever those idiots did aside, how it played out and how people were ignorant to it um, in the Game of Thrones world, I think it sort of, like, gave us a reason why. Because had a Targaryen still been sitting the throne, they would have known the Long Night was coming, right? But when you killed the Mad King Ares all that was lost because he never had a chance to tell whoever the next heir would have been that that was going to happen. So I just found it was like a cool little Easter egg. I didn't think it actually made the show worse. Hmm. Interesting. And like with, and sorry, just to continue on, like in the lore with house Targaryen, the Targaryens only came to Dragonstone because I believe it was Rainies, like the first Rainies. Um, had a vision because they were magical back in Valyria um, that the doom was coming so they left old Valyria and that's like an important thing with Targaryens is like prophetic dreams and visions and we saw how Danny had those in the House of the Undying and stuff but I don't know I just thought it was a cool Easter egg and it was kind of like on par for Targaryens to kind of have that kind of lore but yeah yeah I guess it's a good way to establish that uh I mean, you're right. You could look at it from the angle. And I respect that that's what they're trying to do. Like, look at it from the angle. Like, maybe if they hadn't killed the Mad... Or if the Mad King hadn't been mad, might be the better way to phrase it. 
that they might have been a little more um, prepared. It's funny, Matt. Uh, like this is it's so painful that I see everything as a comparison to Mass Effect. But the more we talk about this, the more I'm like, yeah, they didn't have enough warning about the the strange monsters from like outside of their what they knew that were going to come to destroy them. Hmm. Where does that plot sound familiar? And also the ending <laughs> was very disappointment, and I just got burned out for it. Hmm. Everything is Mass Effect. Welcome to the Everything is Mass Effect podcast with me, your host. <laughs> I even call you guys squad mates for fuck's sakes. Oh, God, this is a disaster. Uh, but I, I respect that that's what they're going with. And if it's a way like what you brought up, I think maybe even more important than it did. It was that it established that these dreams aren't just full of shit. It's like we know that happens for sure. So his dreams aren't just dreams like where he had a vision of a kid born with a crown. Like that might still happen. It's not going to be Emma's kid. But like there is some validity to their dreams, clearly. But you probably could have done that just as easily with a story about how, you know, the queen that you just mentioned had a dream about Valyria's doom, and like, and then that happened, and so we got out of there, right? I don't know mm-hmm. that it need to get brought back. So I see what they did, and it just didn't quite, quite work for me. That's fair. I mean, no one really wants to remember the end of Game of Thrones. No. Okay, so. Let's uh let's pull this in for a, a landing, a king's landing. Oh, Simon, you've done it again. <laughs> Nailed it like Tommen. You oh, will... so <laughs> oh, 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 no. The captain of the Olympic diving team. Oh, God. <laughs> Jesus Christ, man. Oh, I love you. Okay, yeah, so uh where do we think this show is going to go uh next? episode because i i mean hannah spoiled it so no i assume matt also knew but i had also heard there's going to be a time jump or something like that coming in like but presumably it's not going to be next episode so uh what do we think is going to happen directly next i'll answer first because i i genuinely don't know i really don't know what's going to happen i have a feeling that like plot points are going to happen eventually but i'm i'm truly clueless as to what's going to happen in the direct future so i'm curious what the experts think yeah, I, I mean, I have to imagine Damon goes back and um, even if it's not immediately, at some point he's, he's you know, raising up an army and rebelling, I'm sure. Um, I, like, it seems so obvious. I kind of hope they get to it sooner rather than later because if, the, if they, like, kind of hang on to it all season and then that's, like, an end-of-season dramatic thing, it's like, yeah, but we it's in the trailer, guys. We all know it's going to happen. Um, so I'm sort of hoping that happens sooner rather than later. I don't expect it to happen like next episode probably just some you know going home and scheming and and things like that but i also have no idea really beyond that one thing which i think is pretty obvious so i i'm really excited to find out actually it's been a long time since i haven't known what was going to happen hannah be careful yeah I'm i'm having a hard time with this um where they started off the series and where like the actual conflict starts i have no idea what they're gonna do i really hope they don't like time jump too soon because i'm really enjoying the actress that plays Rhaenyra's right now um Rhaenyra, sorry not Rhaenyra's. what am i doing um i'm, I'm tired but um no like I, I enjoy her and i think it would be cool to explore like um 
post her mother's death, post just becoming the heir, sort of the drama surrounding that, because there has to be drama. I just, I I can't see how they can move the storyline forward that they're going for without doing the time jump, like, within the next episode or two. It's just, mm-hmm. it's weird. And I, I have no idea what's coming, but I'm also, it makes me excited for it. Well, the other question, I guess, would be, is it, is this going to be a bold enough show to try and do some sort of split timeline thing? And like by that, I mean, maybe we get like at the beginning of this, we heard um, the actress who plays adult Rhaenyra. She was the one who did the voiceover. So is there a possibility that there is a time jump next episode? But we also that would be very difficult. Oh, uh, if it's like Witcher season one, I will be so mad because that just that's too much to hold on to in my head. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I mean that one you never knew when or where things were. But this could be uh, shit. I feel like there. I mean, it wasn't The Witcher, but I, I feel like there was something that I've watched. I mean, there's been a lot of time jump shows and stuff like that. But it's like where they're kind of both going to uh, to something at the same. Ah, it's gonna kill me. I'm gonna try to think of it for next week. But, but if anything, oh, sorry. Nope. You go ahead. If anything, I could see them jumping forward maybe like four or five years in the next episode um, where they still keep the younger actresses because, you know, four or five years, you can put some makeup on, age them up a little bit. Um, I, I think I could see them doing that, but I don't think we'll see Emma Darcy's Rhaenyra until probably closer to midseason, maybe. Because there's a lot of ground to cover between now and like when she's fully an adult so yeah and there was sorry and they they featured like this version of Rhaenyra quite significantly too where I think if it was just sort of like you know kind of like a one and done and now she's older it's like I don't know if she would have as much focus the focus would probably be on the older characters and then it would be like, oh, hey, remember that little kid? Now she grew up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think they'll keep her around for a few episodes. But I like time jump wise, they're going to have to skip a couple years fairly soon, at least to make things make sense. But I don't know how long they're going to draw the show out for either. So it's all up in the air, right? I think I saw that it's 10 episodes, at least for this first season. Well, that's what I mean, because, like, like, I'm pretty sure they're going to get to, like, adult by the end of the season, at least. But I can't see them promoting Emma Darcy as, like, a main actress, which they have been, if she's only in one or two episodes. So, it's weird. Mm -hmm. And, like, I mean, we'll see what happens, because they got to move quickly, but it'll be interesting to see if they also do the game of thrones traditions of episode nine is the gut punch shocker or if they like switch it up and like something happens in episode eight or if they say everything for the season finale like who knows or even what is the shocker but that was like such a consistent thing that like okay i mean you can kind of watch the other episodes whenever you want to but definitely don't go on twitter until you've seen episode nine of every season because it's always where it gets nutty so i want i'm curious to see if even traditions like that carry on I would assume so, because I feel like lots of TV shows bring out the showstoppers with their penultimate episodes, and then the season finale kind of deals with the fallout, right? Well, I mean, we keep uh, 
whenever we watch the Marvel shows, we keep expecting something more to happen in the second to last episode. <laughs> yeah. It's been like a running theme. It's like, here we go. Second to last episode. It's like 10 minutes shorter than all the other ones. What the fuck? So maybe that's a Marvel thing, or maybe I just haven't watched enough shows. But uh, I haven't watched any of the Marvel shows yet, so I, I don't know. Well, thank you for coming on to your first and last episode of Nerds of the North, Hannah. We really appreciated having you. <laughs> and we wish you all the best it. in the future. Uh, but yeah, okay. So the jokes aside, that's probably a good time to, <laughs> to pull it in for a landing. Uh, Kings, oh no, shit, I made that joke already. Okay. So Matt, do you have any uh, any final thoughts? Uh, no, not really. I I really enjoyed it and look really looking forward to seeing the rest. Perfect. Okay. Well, everyone out there, have a great week. Have a safe week, and we'll see you next time.